today I met one priest, and I met one priest today, and because I give a talk at Seattle University, and um, I talked to him afterwards. He had a very interesting conversation, and something he said touched me very much. Um, when he first entered the the priesthood, this was pre-Vatican um, II. He just entered the priesthood and did like you were supposed to do, you know, and the whole um, notion at that time of what it meant to pursue a spiritual path was, you know, to build the schools and tend to the bureaucracy and increase the church and talk to the people and, and things like that. And he did that for a number of years and then he had a midlife crisis. And it, and he said it suddenly dawned on him that that religion or spirituality was all about looking at yourself. Yeah. And he said it really threw him for a loop, you know, and he had to really question things and ask himself, you know, how many people have I ever really loved? Yeah. And to really look at, at what he had been doing within the, the church establishment all that time. Um, and so from there, he, you know, he entered therapy, he completely redid his spiritual practice, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so the last 20 years are completely different. He's in his 60s now. But I was really touched by that because it was like for all those years having gone on, thinking that Practicing religion meant maintaining this system and all the the functions that that the church performed, and that kind of only after a number of years did did something come clear about you know looking at yourself and working on yourself. And so I think that's you know he made a comment. He said, "Well, that's what Buddhism is all about, isn't it? You know, it emphasizes doing that. You know." And it is, and to always come back to that, you know, to remember whenever we're doing any kind of Dharma activity or, or, or whatever we're doing, that it's all about getting to know ourselves and, and transforming our own minds. So I think if we do that and if we're able to be like really honest with ourselves in everything that we do during our whole life, then we won't necessarily have to go through a midlife crisis. Um, to that, you know, in that nature, and then when we die, we won't have any regret either. So I was very touched by what he said, and the fact that he would share that with me. So I thought I would share it with you. So we were talking about equalizing and exchanging self with others as being Shanti Deva's method for developing the bodhicitta, and this is to use to look at our own minds, okay, you know, not intellectual theory. So equalizing self and others is recognizing that we and others are equal in wanting happiness and not wanting pain, that friends, enemies, and strangers are all equal in that too, and so that there's no reason to cherish anybody more than anybody else, even if that anybody happens to be ourself. And then exchanging self with others is done in terms of 
who who we view as most important or who we cherish the most. So exchanging self and others doesn't mean I become you and you become me. Um, anyway, I don't think you'd want to be me. But um, <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, <laughs> but it means, um, you know, whereas right now we hold the I as most dear and most precious and most sacred, we exchange that so that others become what's most dear and precious and sacred and important. So almost as if when we realize that, that the label I is simply a label on this ag- these aggregates, that there's nothing inherent about I, so there's nothing me here that's so important that needs to be valued above anybody else. And so then there's this whole way of meditating where when you say I, I, you start labeling on all other sentient beings, and others becomes yourself. Yeah. So it's a very interesting way of, of meditating when you say, I want happiness, and I'm going to get happiness. But I means every all other sentient beings. And you look at the other, and you say, and that guy's lazy and not doing anything. And that means your old self, the self-cherishing self. It's a very interesting way of, of meditating that way. And that is that is done on the basis of, you know, seeing the disadvantages of self-cherishing or selfishness or self-centeredness and the benefits of cherishing others. Because when we really feel that very deeply, then to ex- do this exchange of who we see as the most important comes quite, quite easily, quite naturally. You know, when we, when we still hold on to the self-centered attitude as our best friend and that we have to hold on and cherish that because it protects us and takes care of us, then it becomes very difficult to um, exchange self with others. So like I explained last time, the self and the self-centeredness are two different things. Okay, the self-centeredness is an attitude and it's one of the clouds on the sky that pollute the sky. So that can be removed, whereas the self that's merely labeled on the aggregates, that remains. Okay, so from a Buddhist viewpoint, people are not inherently, innately, irrevocably selfish. You know, it's just an attitude that's there, and we can separate ourselves from it. And so in this technique, we, we really have to see the self and the self-centeredness as very separate things. So that when we see the self-centeredness as the enemy, as the thing that destroys our happiness, we're not blaming ourselves. we're putting the blame on the self-cherishing. Okay, and this is a real important thing. And for those of you who have read Reel of Sharp Weapons, that one thought training text, and they, they talk about... Um, you know, trample them, trample them, dance on the head of the self-centered butcher of selfish concern, okay? You know, it's done through seeing the disadvantages of self-centeredness and seeing that as the enemy and turning, you know, the the wrathful energy towards that, okay? Because that's the real enemy. So not blaming ourselves, not dumping on our own case, Okay, but really separating that out and recognizing that that's the source of our problems. And so last time we talked about that, I just want to review about how um, 
you know, when we look at all the difficulties we experience this lifetime, you know, they're all due to our negative karma created in the past. All that negative karma was created under the influence of self-centeredness. Okay, so when we look at that, it becomes real clear that self-centeredness is not our friend. You know, that that, that attitude, that voice that says, but I've got to take care of myself before everybody else, actually isn't our friend. It's the thing that deceives us makes us get involved in the creation of negative karma that then brings pain and suffering and misery upon ourselves. And to really see that, you know. Um, And this is real helpful when you have problems. And that's what Real Sharp Weapons is all about. It's a wonderful text. Um, Is really looking at all the different difficulties we have in our life and recognizing that they're all caused by the self-centeredness and by the ego grasping. And that other sentient beings are not our enemies, but this self-centeredness is. And so that's what we have to pinpoint and, you know, and smash. Okay, so this has nothing to do with self-hatred. Okay? This is completely different than, than blaming ourselves and hating ourselves. And to recognize that um, the self-centeredness, it makes us very easily offended, it makes us overly sensitive, it makes us very fearful because we're clutching on to everything that belongs to the self, it makes us perpetually dissatisfied. If we wonder how come we're not Buddhas yet, it's because of the self-centeredness. You know, in previous lifetimes we've met the Buddha's teachings, we had the opportunity, why didn't we practice and get the realizations? Because the self-centered mind came in and said, Ah, look, come on, who wants to do that? It's too hard anyway. Better go lie on the beach. Your knees won't hurt so much. Yeah? You know, so the self-centeredness, it's its that attitude. I mean, you can see it. It's the one when the alarm clock goes off in the morning that says, I know I should get up and meditate, but I'll sleep an extra half an hour. And I'll get up to go and work because that's really valuable. But meditation, I can... I'll do it later, you know. That's the self-centered attitude, okay? Um, The self-centered one that creates all the excuses and reasons why we, you know, can't go to teachings or can't do this or can't do that or, you know, it's it's the basic source of of the whole thing. We can just look and we see it wreaking havoc in our own lives. Okay, so, you know, the, the, one of that, those big differences why we haven't made as much progress on the spiritual path is basically because we've listened to the self-centered attitude instead of listening to the heart that cherishes others or the wisdom, the wisdom mind. Okay, so we've listened to the wrong part of ourselves. And that's why, you know, there's many problems now. And so when we understand this, then it's a real interesting thing to look at that self-centered attitude and point the finger at it and say, you're the demon, you're the problem, I'm not going to listen to you, you know. So instead of all the anger going towards outside people and all our belligerence towards outside people, we take the same strength of that energy and direct it against the self-centered thought. And so when you see the wrathful or fierce-looking deities, you know, or Dharma protectors sometimes in, in Vajrayana Buddhism. These guys are pretty, 
you know, big fangs and black and blazing fire and bulging eyes and standing on corpses and holding all these weapons. And I mean, they're real fierce looking guys. Um, what their fierce ferocity is directed against is this self-centered mind and is the ego grasping. That's the object of it, okay? So these these wrathful deities are not, you know, to intimidate us or make us feel afraid, but the, the wrath is, is directed towards that attitude that just keeps us so locked up, you know, that is our, our prisoner, in, uh, our jailer, in fact. And there's a real interesting technique of thought training here. And it sounds really weird. I'll tell you this because sometime you might, you might practice it. Um, and I say that because the first time I heard this technique, I thought, what? This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Um, but one time I actually practiced it and it worked. Um, and so this technique is that when you have problems and difficulties and upset, to recognize that that came from the self-centered thought and then take all that suffering and upset that you're experiencing now and give it to the self-centered thought and look at the self-centered thought, you know, really, it's like, because it's not you, it's just this other attitude hanging around and you're the, you know, you're the source of all the problem. It's because of you that all this negative karma was created, that all this suffering is coming now. So here, you take the suffering, and here, you take the criticism, and here, you create, you know, you take uh, all the people's wrath at you. Okay, so you just kind of, instead of, you know, just uh, feeling overwhelmed by all the negative energy that's, or suffering that's getting directed at you, you just offload it onto the self-centered thought. Okay, and give it all to that thought. And that sounds, it sounds like a, a really weird kind of technique. I mean, the first time I heard it, I thought, what? You know, how is this possible? Um, and it's basically because, you know, I couldn't imagine it because I usually saw I and the self-centeredness as completely union oneness. You know, I couldn't separate them out. And so I thought that meant blaming myself for my problems or, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it at all. And one time, one situation happened to me. Those of you who've read Working with Anger heard the story, but if you haven't read Working with Anger, I'll tell you the story. Um, it's a real interesting one. Uh, and it's one situation which I actually did practice this. And I was on pilgrimage in Tibet. This is um, six years ago. And going to this one lake, the Lamo Lhotse, the lake at 18,000 feet, you know, where they see the, the uh, they receive the prophecies in it. So I was on pilgrimage on horseback um, for several days going back into this lake, and there was a few other people that I was traveling with. And one of the other persons, I had known him for many, many years, and, you know, we had gotten along well, and then at one point, I don't know what happened. Um, but we were kind of, you know, I mean, it was okay. And so we were all in this group together going on this pilgrimage. Uh and kind of the second, the day before we climbed to the top to the lake, we were walking up towards a place where we were going to camp. And his horse, he had the most incredible horse. <laughs> his horse, you know, when we would go in the middle of the river, his horse would stop in the river and not move. You know, and somebody would have to go in and 
oh, what is that? Why, why, this person was sitting, you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, his horse just couldn't go any further, and, and you know, he wasn't going to be able to ride his horse. And I was doing okay, and my horse was okay, and I wasn't feeling too exhausted. And so, um, as we were traveling along, he and I were close to each other, and so I offered him to ride on my horse, and I would walk, because I felt okay. And somehow, this made him so angry. He just totally blew up, you know, completely blew up. Because I think he was just feeling frustrated about everything, you know, and the difficulty. Anyway. He just went on this tirade about, you do this, and you do that, and you do this. And I heard when you lived in France, you said this to this person, and you heard that person's feelings. And, you know, before when you lived in India, in Italy, you did this, and then before in India, you did that. And then all these people don't like you, and you know, and he just went on and on. I mean, he was just so angry, completely dumping it. So somehow, I think it's the blessing of, of this pilgrimage, I had the thought, I should practice this thought training technique, you know, at this moment. And so I did, and I thought, okay, all this stuff, because I hate getting criticized. You know, I mean, you talk to somebody who's easily offended and easily hurt, you know, I volunteer. So, you know, Sonorio's just like so miserable for me. So when he started dumping all this stuff on me, said, okay, I'm going to practice that. So self-cherishing thought, you take this all, you know? It's like you, all this negative energy, all this stuff, you take it. It's all directed at you. You have it, you know? And then I remembered Lama Zopa saying that when you really practice that, then you, you can almost say, more, more, I want more criticism because you can, you know, because you're offloading it on your, on your real enemy, the selfish thought. Okay, so then I began to say, okay, all this pain and suffering, give to the self-cherishing. So, okay, come on, more criticism, more criticism. You know, and it was really incredible because by the time we pitched camp, I was completely okay. You know, I wasn't the way I usually am after somebody yells at me, you know, which is, you know, crushed, polarized. You know, I mean, I was actually completely okay. And it just made such a strong impression on me that, you know, how powerful this kind of thought transformation technique is. Right, right, yeah, yeah. You know, give me more ammunition to dump on this guy over here. And he did. He gave me. <laughs> he complied quite willingly. <laughs> Just amazing. <laughs> it was so amazing because we were out there in the middle of nowhere. You know? I mean, kind of, really, the middle of nowhere on pilgrimage to this, to this holy lake. It was, it was quite something. Anyway, so it's a, it's a very useful technique to do. Yeah, whenever there's difficulties and problems in the life. And then also, you know, to help us really check and analyze who's our friend and who isn't our friend. And to recognize that, you know, other sentient beings, they might harm us once or twice or whatever, but it's limited amount of harm, whereas the self-centeredness, it's never once been kind to us. 
it continuously harms. So a sentient being might harm sometime and help sometime. Self-centeredness always harms, never helps. Okay? And also, uh, harm received from sentient beings, the worst it could be is we get criticized or even we die. You know, another sentient being might kill us. But another sentient being can't send us to the lower realms. Okay? Another sentient being can't make us be reborn in an unfortunate rebirth. But the self-centered attitude can. So even if another sentient being kills us, you know, we separate from this body. We're going to have to do that sometime or another. It's really not that catastrophic. But in terms of what our next life is going to be after we separate from this body, you know, that is where the, the self-centered attitude comes in and completely wreaks havoc. You know, other sentient beings can't send us to the lower realm. Even they curse us up and down. May you go to hell 50 million times, you know. Um, they can't do that. that. They can't send us there. Yeah, But, uh, but the self-centered mind can. Okay. And so to just be real clear, you know, that, that other people, they might bug us, we might have conflict with them at some time, but it's always possible to have a good relationship later. You know, karmic energy changes, personalities change, people change, so whoever we're having conflict now with, it's not a permanent situation. It is possible to become friends with that person later, whereas the self-centeredness, it's never possible. They'll never be kind to us. Yeah. Whereas other sentient beings can be. To really see clearly what, what the enemy is.